church for us, his holy word, to encourage us, to, to cause us to strive to live. We have this joyful confidence in him. We can have this joyful confidence in him. We saw that a few weeks ago under Psalm 57. Oh, and then last week. When the seasons change in our life, remember this? When the seasons change and they will change, we can remember the goodness of God in our lives. We can be reminded of that. Psalm 34 showed us that a week ago, which brings us here to the conclusion of this very short series and how to praise God in hard times in Psalm 63. And what God's going to show us this morning is that we can live for the longing. God wants us to live for the longing. And we're going to walk through this psalm in just parts this morning, but we're going to see what God has in store for us this morning. You know, uh, this past April marked, if you remember this, and I couldn't, re- I couldn't believe it had been this long, but 10 years since the Boston Marathon bombings. You remember that? To me, it seems like it was yesterday, this past April, marked 10 years since that event took place in our country. And if you remember that story of what happened, that there were two men who went along the parade route, or the, the, rather the, the marathon route, and they planted bombs, just needlessly hurting and killing individual people. And while people were showing up to watch their loved ones their family members, their friends, all of these individuals run in just a simple race. A joyful event turned into chaos. It was a domestic terroristic attack on our nation. It killed three people. It injured over 200 people. In fact, 281 to be exact. There were 14 people who had to receive amputations, all because they simply came to an event to watch their friends and family members run in a race. Now, at the end of all of that, what I want to remind us of this morning is that life is very unpredictable. It is unpredictable. One minute you're showing up and you're coming to a friend's, you know, marathon or a family member's marathon, a celebratory day, and in that one instant, life is changed forever. And what a reminder that we are broken people in a world that is broken, being impacted, influenced by broken people. In every direction, we experience brokenness. In every direction, we experience this this frail understanding that we are broken people in every way. And I think what what we see and understand through all of that is that there is this painful cycle. Some of us have gone through painful cycles in our lives. Some of us are going through that painful cycle right now in your own individual life. And there it just seems like there is one thing after another, and every day is a walk of faith. Because in the midst of hard times, in the midst of these painful cycles, we have to continue to walk by faith. And we don't know what the next hour will bring. We don't know what the next day will bring. We don't know what the next you know, year will bring. Some of us go through tragedies. We lose a loved one. Maybe we suffer loss, the loss of a job. Maybe you get that diagnosis of cancer. Maybe you get that diagnosis of something else, some other incredible disease that completely, radically changes your family, your life, your individual life. Something happens that is unjust, that is impacting your life that you have no control over. But there is something about the intimacy of God that brings life back into focus. In the midst of hard times, 
And this is how we're going to wrap this little short series up. In the midst of difficult days, in the midst of painful experiences, in the midst of suffering in our lives, there is something about the intimacy that God allows us to have with him that brings life back into focus. And it is the key, listen, it is the key to praising God in hard times. Is the intimacy that you develop with your heavenly father. It is the key, not only if you're going through a crisis or you're about to go into a crisis or you've been in one in the past, it is the key to walking through those things and to praise God in hard times. And it is not something you do. Don't hear me say that. It isn't something you do. It is someone who is with you. That is the key to understanding the intimacy of God and understanding this. It isn't something that you tangibly do. It is the someone who is with you, who is walking with you. And so when we look at this psalm this morning, we're going to read through it because this is an incredible song. It's one of my favorite in all of the Bible. But understand what intimacy is. An intimacy with God comes when I am most satisfied with his presence. Intimacy with God comes when I am most satisfied with his presence. I just want you to think about that for a moment. God really does care about you. He really does love you. He really does want to walk with you. He really does care about your situation that you find, that he, you find yourself in. You are not abandoned and you are not alone. God wants to walk with you. He wants to teach you. He wants to show you himself. He doesn't want to tell you, hey, go do these things. He wants you to plug into him Because long before you were born, God was there. Long after you are gone from this earth, God will still be here. And long before that struggle that you're in the midst of, suffering, uh, difficult time, season of crisis, God was there and he was preparing you for that, but not for you to garner up the strength in and of yourself, but to depend fully and completely upon him. He wants to give you good and good things. This is a psalm of David. David had been going through some difficult things. If you look at the heading of Psalm 63, look at it with me. Where is David? He's in the wilderness of Judah. Most of your translations are going to say that. If you look at verse 11, it tells you the context of what's going on here. David is the appointed king of Israel. He references himself, but the king shall rejoice. This is a season in which David is already king. But he finds himself in this wilderness, the wilderness of Judah. He is the rightful king of Israel, but he has been driven off the throne. He is the rightful king of which God had anointed him and put him on the throne, but he finds himself now in the wilderness, not by his own desire and not, not by his own decision making. He is there because he's been driven there. He's there not under his own desires, but he's been driven there against his will. But he discovers in here in the wilderness of Judah in 63, he discovers intimacy with the Lord, and you can too. And there are keys to understanding the intimacy of the Lord. And I want to show them to you this morning because I think we can pull and pluck them out of what David says about his own life, what God wants us to see about how to have intimacy with him and his presence. The first is this, if you desire the Lord... Here's the principle. If you desire the Lord, if you truly run after him and you desire him, he will satisfy the soul. If you desire him, if you pursue him with your life, above all else, he will satisfy what is longing in your life, what is missing in your life. The key to intimacy that we see here 
This is what David says. Look with me at verse 1 of 63. This is what David says. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and a weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Look at verse 4. So I will bless you. As long as I live, in your name I will lift up my hands. You desire the Lord, he will satisfy the soul. If you pursue him, that is the key to intimacy. It's recognizing first and foremost your need for him. You've got to understand, we have to be woken up and understand our true and absolute complete need for the Lord in our life. If you want to have intimacy with the Lord, you've got to understand your need for the Lord in your life. Now listen. Our students were just at camp a little over a week ago. Those who gave their life to Jesus Christ, new Christians, new believers who were at that camp, understand this very thing. Because when you give your life to Jesus Christ, it's like all of a sudden your eyes are opened, your mind is open to a, a world, to a life you never understood or imagined. The burdens of your heart are lifted from your life. Yes, they're still there. It isn't as though God takes away your problems. He doesn't take away these things. He takes away how you look at those problems because the burden of your life now has been lifted. And that's what God does. But when, you, when that happens, there is this longing. It's as though you don't think about anything else. Life begins to be put into perspective. It begins to align itself naturally because the Lord begins to do this work in our lives. Whether the students did that a couple weeks ago or children did that this past week or you as an adult did this recently in your life, you understand that there is this focus that God brings about in our life that the whole world we understand that the whole world is aligned around the Lord in my relationship with the Lord. But here's the thing I want to remind us of. That will be tested. That will be tested. You can say that you believe in God. You can say that you believe in Jesus Christ. But there will be a day when that is going to be tested in your life. It's going to be tested. It's going to be tested today, tomorrow, in the next crisis, in the next season, in the next season of suffering that you're going to find yourself. David is in the wilderness, not by his own making, but because he has been forced into the wilderness. Why? Because he's running from his own boy, his own son, that he saw as a young baby grow up to be a toddler, into an adolescent, into a teenager. Absalom has hunted down his throne, has, has swayed the hearts and the minds of the men of Israel against David and towards him. And he has convinced people all throughout Israel that he is a better king, that he is more wise, that he is stronger, that he should be on the throne, not his dad. And so once he had enough people around him, once he developed all of this, he created this coup and took his dad off the throne and ran his dad out of Israel. And now Absalom is sitting on the throne. Not that God had put him there, but that he put himself there. And David, the rightful king of Israel, is now in the wilderness of Judah. You see, what's going on here is that he has been tested. His relationship, his intimacy with God is tested in this moment. And he's running from Absalom here in the wilderness. He loses his kingdom. He loses the people. But, but here's the thing, y'all. He loses the Ark of the Covenant because the Ark of the Covenant is in, Israel, is in Jerusalem. 
He's now away from the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant that existed was the symbol of power, was the the presence of God who was among and dwelt among the people in Jerusalem. David has been driven from the Ark. He's been driven from his people. He's been driven from his kingdom. He's been driven into this wilderness. His world had been turned upside down. It's chaotic. This is not where he's supposed to be, and yet look at verse 1 with me again. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly what I seek you, my, my, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He doesn't begin to blame God. He doesn't begin to throw the pity party for himself. He begins to worship the Lord. He turns directly to the Lord, not to himself. If you look at verse 1, oh God, you are my God. There are many names of God, but there in Hebrew, he's saying, oh Elohim. Oh Elohim, you are my Elohim, meaning strong one. You are my strength. What David is saying in this moment, in the moment in which he's been driven into the wilderness, he's saying, listen, you are my strength in this moment. You are my strong one. I'm reminding myself that my strength is not in myself, it's not in my ability, it's not in my army, it's not in my wisdom that you've given to me, it is in you, Lord. And therefore, I will earnestly, what? Seek you. I will pursue you. I will come after you, Lord. He's in a dry and a waterless place, but it prompts him to begin to think about all that the Lord has done. He begins to think about his own relationship with the Lord. He begins to think about what it's like to be in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, to be, or rather, in the presence of God. And here he is in the wilderness now, abandoned, driven out, not by his own making, but by his own son. And here in the desert, he misses God. He misses the Lord. He misses the being in the presence of a, of a holy God. He misses being in the presence in the, where the Ark of the Covenant is. And so what does he do? Well, look at the text. He begins to thirst. He begins to seek. He begins to long after the Lord. You see, your greatest need in your life is not to get out of the suffering. Your greatest need is not to get out of the chaos. Your greatest need is intimacy with the Lord. It begins when you desire Him. He satisfies what is missing. We learn this when we think about Jesus Christ. Because this is why Jesus Christ came into the world. He satisfies what is longing in our life. There is a famous story, maybe you've heard of it, in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Remember this story? Jesus is with his disciples and he's going through Samaria. And there in John chapter 4, he makes and cuts a very unusual path through, directly through Samaria. He sits down at a well of water and he waits. And a woman walks up to the well, a woman who is involved in sexual immorality, a woman who has who followed the ways of the world, and yet she is religious at the, same, at the same time. But when Jesus meets her, he doesn't condemn her. Instead, he reminds her of that, the fact that he is the living water. And look at this verse here from John chapter 4. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will never thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling to eternal life. This is what truly satisfies our hearts. This is what truly satisfies our life. It is what Jesus Christ does for us. 
That begins internally in our life. Listen, that relationship begins internally. Jesus Christ satisfies our soul, but it begins to externally burst out into our life at the same time. I mean, look at verse 4 of Psalm 63 and what it says again. This is where David is. He's longing for God. He's walking with God. He's pursuing God. But this is, so I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will do what? I will lift up my hands. In the wilderness of Judah, here is the outflowing of a a heart that is worshiping, a heart that is now satisfied with God. Even though he's not where he needs to be, where he should be on the throne, he is worshiping God internally in his life. He's being satisfied. He's pursuing God. And there is this expression of his hands. He will lift them up. What God does to us and reminds us to do is to lift up our hands. This is why Paul says in 1 Timothy, this is the verse that he, he brings us to. He says this, I desire then it in every place that men should what? Pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. We ought to be worshiping. We ought to be living for the Lord in our lives, right? There is this juxtaposition here between anger and quarreling and how it, 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 it contradicts the lifting up of holy hands and worshiping God. Because when your eyes and your mind is on the Lord, it isn't on all of these things right here. And that's what the David, that's what John, Paul rather, is saying to Timothy. He wants to see in the church, but it is the expression of desiring the Lord with your life. Do you desire the Lord? Do you desire to be with the Lord? David desired the Lord. He desired to be in the Lord's presence. He understood that there was this sustaining power of the, of the love of God in his life. And we're called to lift not only our hearts, but to lift our hands to the Lord and worship him. You desire the Lord, and he will satisfy your soul. That is a key to intimacy with God. But David's not done. Because look at verse 5. You see, desiring the Lord, and he will satisfy the soul. But what David says next is the the second key to intimacy with God is to delight in the Lord, and he will sustain you through life. You delight in him, he will sustain you through the life that he's called you to live. Look at verse five with me again. My soul will be what? Satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Notice the hope in verse five. I mean, look at verse 5 again. My soul will be satisfied with what fat and rich food, and my mouth with, will praise you with joyful lips. There is a sense of which that there is hope. He remembers in verse 6 the Lord when he's laying on his pillow at night. There is something to be said about promises and the promises that you read about in the Bible. Our promises are always broken. You ever notice that? But the promises of God are always fulfilled 100% of the time. The ones we like to hear and the ones we don't like to hear. The the, the promises of God come. They come from his word and they are always fulfilled in our life. And David is thinking. There he's staring up into the darkness of night in the desert. And he's looking at the millions of stars in the desert. You see, he could be in his palace bed but he finds himself now in the middle of the desert staring up at the stars of the sky and he is remembering all of who God is, all that God has done. And it causes him to delight in the Lord. He begins to praise. He begins to remember. He begins to meditate in the watches of the night in verse 6 about the fact that he is his help. 
He is in the shadow of, his, of the Lord's wings. And what will he do? He will delight. He will rejoice. He will worship the Lord in that moment. David's relationship with the Lord, listen, began long before the desert. You got to have and you got to be plugged into the Lord long before the chaos comes, long before the suffering comes. How did he get to this place where he's staring up at the stars of the sky, he's laying in bed, and he's remembering all that God has done? It's because he's been walking with God a long time. And so now he finds himself in the wilderness of Judah. He finds himself in this place where he's not supposed to be, and yet he's going to worship the Lord. He's going to remember his help. Why? Because God had already been walking with David. David had already been walking with God a long time, long before this ever began and took place. When he was a young boy, the Lord enabled him to kill a lion with bare hands. The Lord was with David on the battlefield with Goliath. The Lord was with David time and time again when Saul was hunting him down, but he could not kill him. David was, was there, God was there with David at every moment of every season in David's life, leading him to right here where he is today in this wilderness of Judah, now that he has been run off of the, of the throne from Absalom. He knew that the Lord was with him. He knew that the Lord had walked with him. And here he lays on his pillow, remembering the work of God. So in 5, 6, and 7, he's remembering the work of God. But listen, he then clings to the presence of God because out of that then leads to this overflow of, uh, of action in his life. He's not just sitting there and listening to, to his own thoughts as they think about the Lord. He now clings to the Lord in verse 8. My soul clings to you. you. Your right hand upholds me. He's reminding himself of what God has done and what God is doing. And what is his response? It is a life that is sustained by God. He is in the shadow of his wings, therefore he worships the Lord. You know, a healthy exercise in your life is to sit down with a pad and pen and write down the big benchmarks of God's greatness in your life, I call them. The big moments that God showed up in your life, long before where you are now. But, but, but take a pen and paper and write down the big things, the big seasons and how you went through that crisis, God showed up. Maybe it was a friend that he provided. Maybe it was a verse of scripture. Maybe it was a sermon you heard. Maybe it was a local church or a Bible study class that came around you. Maybe it was something that God showed you in your own personal devotions when you were crying out to the Lord, bam, God showed up. Or he delivered you from something. You ought to write those things down and you ought to keep them close to you because a crisis is coming. Difficult days are coming if you're not in one. And you need to be plugged into the Lord. You need to be focusing on pursuing him with your life. And you'll see what God has done that will lead you to where you are today, that will grow your faith even more so in your life. We learn this in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 10. What a great passage that we see here in verse 27, 28, and 29. This is what Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. Look at this. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Look at this. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I mean, what an incredible understanding of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Man, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to get that done today. 
Don't walk out of here today if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you haven't surrendered your life to him because you're missing out on all that God wants for your life. He wants this for you. He is pursuing you. He has offered himself to you. His mechanism for enabling you to walk through the life's difficulties and challenges and to praise him in hard times is himself. It's not any kind of step process that you have to, 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 to execute in your life. It is to incl- in, 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 in kind of surrender yourself to what he wants in your life, to cling to him. And you begin to delight in him. You begin to remember him. Look at John 14, verse 21. What a great passage of scripture for us to understand. This is what Jesus says later in John 14. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest himself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, of course, this is what's going on in the story, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Legitimate question. Jesus looks at Judas and says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Now listen, and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Look at this. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. What Jesus is saying here, and let me just finish this passage here, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, bringing to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What God says to us and what we're reminded of is this, that when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, when we pursue him, when we delight in him, in every way, he sustains us through life. But this is God's mechanism for your life. It isn't for you to do anything. It is for you to plug in to the one who is with you, who walks with you. The role and the purpose of the Spirit of God in your life is to remind you, is to bring to remembrance all that God has done, to bring to remembrance what Jesus Christ has done for you, to bring to remembrance in your life what, the, what, what, what God has done through difficult seasons in your life. You delight in him, he will sustain you through life. Finally, look at what David says in the last few verses. After all of this, this is what he declares. But those who seek to destroy my life, in verse 9, shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. You see, the key to intimacy with the Lord, David shows us right there in those few verses, is that you declare your defense. You declare your defense in the Lord, he will secure the outcome. He will secure it. It's in his hands. Always has been, it always will be, and David can rest well at night as he's laying there in the wilderness of Judah. David thirsted, and he was satisfied. He remembered, and he clung, and he was sustained He declared who his true defense was in verse 9. He put life into perspective. He put the chaos into perspective. He put the suffering into perspective. And he had this confidence in God's ability to accomplish his will. He had this confidence that God was going to work things out according to how he wanted to work it out. 
Oh, he remembered when he was anointed king by the prophet Samuel. He remembered that day. He had nothing to do with it. He didn't seek out the kingdom. He's tending sheep. God showed up, made him king out of nowhere. Wasn't something he had prepared for, planned for, gone to school for, but just God showed up, moved in his life. He remembered that God's the one who put him into this role. God's the one who brought Absalom into the world because we're all created in the image of God, remember? Absalom had value. Absalom had gone the way of the wicked. If God brought him into the world, if God made him king, if God gave him that son, if God then allowed this all to happen, God's going to take care of the outcome. And he trusted that. He understood where his defense lied. He understood where it all rested. I mean, look at verse 10. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. He can declare that because David knew that his life was not in his, he wasn't, his life wasn't in, his, in the hands of his son, it was in the hands of the Lord in every way. And what's his response? Verse 11 is the response. He rejoices. And that's the evidence of the Spirit of God. Listen, we see this all over the New Testament. For those who are persecuted by Christ, this is what Jesus says, Matthew 5, 12. He says this, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What did Jesus say? Rejoice? What? I mean, when someone's making fun of you at work for following Jesus, when someone's at school and they're all making fun of you and you're completely isolated and there are no Christians around you, rejoice. That's what Jesus says. How is it possible to have joy in our hearts even in the midst of suffering? Because the Spirit of God is at work in us, and the Lord is on his throne. We understand this. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church in Thessalonica, begins that letter in 1 Thessalonians with this. He says this, 1 Thessalonians, I, and you became imitators of us, sin of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, but watch this, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. There is a joy that exists that is not man-made. It is not natural. It does not come from this earth. It comes from Almighty God when His Spirit is at work in us and fills us. And there is joy that exists in our life. Therefore, when you read the New Testament, when you read the letters that Paul wrote, when you read about the suffering that, that the, the early disciples went through, there was the sense in which there was joy attached to all of it. Count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. I mean, we, we see this time and time again all over the New Testament. This exists everywhere. There is a joy that exists by way of the Spirit of God. I remember this great story of Luke chapter 1. You remember the story there of Mary and who Elizabeth Elizabeth is there and she's pregnant with child. Mary walks up and as soon as she walks up, what happens? The Spirit of God brings about joy in the heart and the mind of Elizabeth in that moment. 
I think of the story of the disciples who were filled with the Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 13, verse 52, there, there is this, this joy that exists even in the midst of persecution. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, we see Paul and Silas singing while they're in prison, joyful while they're in handcuffs. How? Peter himself, in 1 Peter chapter 4, speaks of joy in the mind and the heart of the Christian because of the work of the Spirit of God in your life. That when you step from walking and living your life and you step into a life of being surrendered to Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God comes into your life and transforms your heart. And no one in this room can make that happen. No one is, nothing in this world can provide it. Only God can do that work in you and through your life. Your defense isn't in yourself. It's always been and always will be in the Lord. He secures the outcome. You're going to face hard times. You're going to face difficult times, but you can praise him. You're going to come to dry moments in your life, dry places in your life that are out of your control. Your senses are going to tell you one thing. Man, I'm thirsty. Man, it's dry. Man, that desert is long. I can only see the horizon and it's going to lead you and could potentially lead you to places of anxiety and worry. It may lead you to a place of depression and discouragement in your life. That's what senses tend to do in our life. But I want to encourage you with one thing this morning. The Lord is doing something with it. And it may be that where you are in your life, when you're facing suffering and chaos and things that are outside of your control, that maybe the Lord is making you and leading you to be more dependent upon him. Because he strips it all away in moments like that. We're real confident in our own abilities and our independence. But when things are stripped away from us, we understand and realize the frailty of life and how unable we are to live our lives and to fix ourselves. That's the place that you want to be, dependent upon the Lord. Just ask Job. Just ask Moses when God took him on the backside of a desert. Just ask Elijah after he prays and rains down fire from heaven, is running for his life, fearful, feeling alone, and scared. I mean, just ask the disciples in the early parts of the New Testament. Ask the disciples as they began to share their faith in the book of Acts time and time again. Ask the 120 who were held up in Jerusalem after Jesus has been crucified on the cross and they're locked up in a room and they're praying and they're depending on the Lord. Now what, God? Now what, God? Now what are we supposed to do, God? What are we supposed to do now? The Spirit of God comes in Acts chapter 2. Time and time again among God's people, God takes these moments of suffering in our life, these moments of, of dry seasons in our life, and he uses them for his glory. He leads us to be more dependent upon him. He leads us to be completely and fully devoted to him. He leads us to a place of intimacy which is why he created us to begin with. The answer is intimacy with the Lord. 
It's living for the longing. I ought to live for it. No matter if I'm on the other side of the world or if I'm in Livingston, Texas. No, no matter if I'm sitting at MD Anderson or I'm sitting at a football game on a Friday night. I live for the longing of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. I desire him. Oh, when I desire him, he's going to satisfy my soul. When, when I delight in him, oh, he's going to sustain me through life. When I pledge my de- and declare my defense into him, he's going to secure the outcome. And that all begins with what I do with Christ. None of it matters if I reject Christ with my life. So listen, Christian, follow him wholeheartedly with your life. Start now. Live for the longing in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You're preparing for those seasons when it's going to be difficult and hard. You're preparing for the wilderness of Judah. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, what are you waiting for? God's perfect. He does not look the other way with sin. He just doesn't. Sin can't be in his presence. And yet at the same time, we don't have to convince ourselves that we're broken people. We don't have to convince ourselves that we're surrounded by broken systems and broken things. We're both sinners and we're affected by sin. And yet at the same time, I can't be in the presence of a holy God. What a dilemma that we find ourselves in. And that's why Jesus came. Because you see, the problem in our life is that no matter how good we try to be, no matter how hard we try to live good lives, we could never achieve what God intends for us to achieve. God knew that. And so he stepped into this world Jesus came and he lived a sinless life and he went to the cross for your sin and my sin because that's what the Bible says is the penalty for sin. It's death. And he died in my place and he rose from the dead. And what he says to you and I is that if I'll pledge my allegiance to him, if I'll turn away from my life and start following him and believe in him, he comes into my life and he changes me. He comes into my life and he saves me. And it's in those spaces and in those moments that he comes near to me. When I face those difficult things in my life, he's there. Without that, he's still distant. And you're trying to live your life on your own. It never works out in the end. So we're gonna have a time in our response time. We're gonna sing a song together. If you're a Christian this morning, a follower of Jesus Christ, you just wanna come and pray here at the front, you come. You just give something over to the Lord. Maybe you need to give that crisis, that chaos. Maybe you need to ask the Lord to help you to grow in intimacy with him. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you just need prayer. I'll be here at the front. There are here people here that are willing to pray with you if you just come down over any matter. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, you come as well. If you've got questions about what that looks like, you come and you ask, and we'll start that conversation. I want to pray with us and for us and then we're going to have a time of worship this morning. God, thank you this morning for the time that we've had in your word. And God, we thank you for this series. We all face difficult seasons, but we can praise you in hard times. 
not in and of ourselves, but by the power of your son, Jesus. And we thank you this morning, God, for your son. This time, Lord, we give to you. You never bring us to your word without calling us to respond to it. And so we want to respond by faith today. Help us to respond by faith. Say yes to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with me? And we're going to have a time of worship. And let's sing this song together. And you have the courage to come today.
Right, you can be seated this morning, and we are going to uh, just share a few things with you today before we close out our service. Um, one is we want to be faithful to give our tithes and offerings this morning, and so as we do every Sunday, we give you an opportunity as we worship through praying and through singing, uh, through hearing God's Word and responding to it, also to give, and that's one of the ways in which God has reminded us and taught us how to worship Him. At the end of the service, as you're leaving today, you can drop your offerings or your tithes in the boxes as you leave. You can also go online, a very simple and easy way to give, and so I wanted to uh, remind you of that. Um, hey, real quick, Vacation Bible School, we had a great week, and I want to show you a quick video about all that God did this past week. Here it is. I told you pies were involved. Yeah, I told Tammy, I said, I leaned over to her right before she put the pie in my face, and I said, you know, she was on the search committee that, that brought me here. I said, you didn't promise me that, you didn't mention this when you were interviewing me to be your pastor uh, a couple of years ago, but no, we had a good time. And uh, we had over 300 that were registered, both volunteers and students or children who were here uh, throughout the week who came, and it was just a great week. Um, and I'm just so proud of you, and I'm thankful for our kids, and we've got a lot of families to follow up with and some children that had some decisions that we're going to be following up with in the weeks ahead. So as I told our team on, on uh, Friday afternoon when we had lunch, the work begins as we begin to now follow up with these families um, and pray for, uh, for God to move in that, okay? 
All right. Hey, listen, we've got a couple equip um, events coming up for ministry. I want to just remind you of those things. One is the equip conference. It's coming up on August the 5th, and that's going to be down at Sagemont Church. You can register online. There's over 200 breakout sessions for all areas of ministry. This is equipping season for our church from our new ministry year. So we really want to encourage you to attend um, both or one of these two events, the equip conference and then the impact conference. Our local association, the UBA, um, puts on a great equipping conference. It's up in Lufkin. It's going to be on August the 26th, and so that's coming up. It's going to be at Southside. Um, great breakouts for ministry areas as well. You can go online, and if you need help uh, registering for those, uh, those conferences, you come see us or call the church office. We'll make sure you can get some help to, uh, to sign up for that, okay? So I wanted to mention that this morning. The one last thing I was going to mention before I, I do one quick thing, okay, is um, uh, before we close our service out, is I wanted to um, remind everybody that on August the 9th, that's a Wednesday, we're going to have an event uh, for worship only in the worship service. That is the first day of school. Parents know that date. Um, but that is the first day of school. That evening on Wednesday night from 6 to 7, we're going to meet in here, and we're going to have a night of worship and praying. And so there's going to be some strategic kind of prayer points. We're going to be praying for our community, praying for our teachers, praying for our city, um, but also great opportunities to sing and worship the Lord. No child care needed. We're just going to be in here from 6 to 7 or 7.15 or so, whatever that is. And we're just going to have a great time together. It's going to be a unique worship service. So I want to, that's all I'll say about that. There are going to be some changes to the service um, and what we're going to do in here, but that'll be prayer and worship that night. We're calling it an, the Encounter Conference. It's a night of worship, and that's coming up on August the 9th. We want you to be here for that, okay? All right. Let me uh, introduce these folks to you, the Lawsons. Come on up here real quick. Um, this is Terry and Patty Lawson. They're coming to join Central, so y'all welcome them. Yeah. So they have uh, started, they're going to start the membership process. We're going to get to know each other, and uh, we'll see each other again. All right? Y'all just have a seat there, and at the end of the service, um, folks will come by and say hello to you. All right? All right, the last thing I want to do is um, introduce to you um, 